welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always... Sean Baker. And today's topic is the 2003 film, The Human Stain. And so this film, it's based on a very well-acclaimed novel by Philip Roth, but it's it follows a professor at this college, and supposedly he's basically been the one that's built this university almost from the ground up. He's this huge figure, and he teaches literature. And during one class, he makes a remark about two students that have continuously been absent, and he refers to them as spooks, as ghosts. The problem is he did not know that those two were African-American, and that it's, of course, also a derogatory slur towards African-Americans that causes controversy. He is suspended, and... He plans to sue the college, and also his wife dies of a heart attack due to the shock and the stress, and therefore he plans to write a novel, and he becomes friends with this somewhat reclusive author, Mm -hmm. and over over this period, he just sort of has this downward spiral. He has this affair with this much younger woman who carries her own baggage. She had a nasty breakup with her ex-husband, who's sort of psychotic. And we also sort of reveal that there is something to his past that we find out that he is actually, he passed as he pretends to be Jewish, but he is actually comes from two black parents. And he lied about that and sort of disowned himself from his own family to order to get into the Navy and then later to get into the college, passing as Jewish, afraid that if he said he was African-American, he would not get those opportunities. And then eventually we the very end he's driving away with this woman he's been having the affair with then the ex-husband hunts them down and sort of just scares them to de- they just, so they drive off the road into a lake and die yep and that is basically the story yes and when we were it's funny because off topic we were always talking about you know we do these movies and you know we both all the movies we've done we've liked to a certain extent and I was saying, we're too darn positive on this show. <laughs> we, need, we need one movie that we just didn't quite click with us. And yeah. I'm happy to say we found it because yeah. this movie, this I, I don't think it's terrible. I didn't like hate it or anything. Yeah. But overall, I would not recommend it. I did not yeah. quite care for this movie. And when you talked about this movie, just when you, because I'd never heard of it before. Yeah. And you just briefly mentioned it. I looked up the two sentence plot summary on IMDb. It's this. Um, after a somewhat remark is considered racist, this I thought it was going to probe this issue yeah. of political correctness on campus. Yeah, and then he fights this because he says, "Oh, this is something that was taken out of context," and it could be this thing of how, I mean, today how you know people can if you are accused of doing something that people will look over in every nook and cranny of your personal life yes. to find if you've ever made anything else of that remark. Yes. and I thought that's how, where it was going to go. And it doesn't go in there at all. It doesn't I mean, go there at all. Strange. Yeah. Maybe and, it was because of that expectation of that's what the movie was about. That maybe that's why I was did not really care for this. But yeah, it was just oh, it's not the political correctness isn't really even the point of this movie. Yeah, it it, it isn't. And I know from uh, what I've read about the originating novel of the same name, The Human Stain, um, about the first one hundred to one hundred and twenty five pages is the story of the uh, uh, proceedings at the university to get him ousted. 
So they spend some time on that in the in the novel, and for some reason, Christopher Meyer, who's the screen, screenwriter for this thing, who's done a lot of good work, decided not to emphasize that so much in here. It's almost it's, it's just, just like the one scene when just, he has that discussion. Yeah, at it's the just like the opening event, yeah, and it's used uh, to eventually just lead us into this story of of a guy that has passed as white and Jewish in order to have a successful career. Um, it's curious that they didn't do that. It's uh, in a way it's understandable because, you know, when you're deciding what to do in terms of uh, turning a novel into a film, there are always just many threads in a novel, um, a, a good novel, you know, that lends depth and plausibility to the story. And you do have to pick and choose which ones you, you will, you will take. Um, but they didn't explore it much at all. And part of the power of the novel is the irony. It's, it's bordering on um, satire, you know, the irony of uh, this guy being this very well-known faculty figure being put through a kind of a kangaroo court uh, for the uh, terminology he used in, in reference to these two missing students, uh, all the while him being black. Uh, black, you know, and they just didn't really explore that. And they chose to, they chose to develop the other side of the story, his backstory, which I think they probably should have almost exclusively focused on. Because that was the strong point of the movie when yeah. it is those flashbacks of him as a young man. Yes. And, and you know, you see uh, a, a very... Um, powerfully unified family in in the father is a strong father figure and he he has a great deal of integrity so he's stuck with a, a relatively menial position being a porter on a, on a on a railway but he he lives his life with great integrity so does uh the mother and the two brothers and the sister and the sister and you see this this uh, conflict in him, uh, he he realizes, uh, uh, you know, if I am completely honest about my background and so forth, uh, my my uh, the potentials I have are quite limited on what I can do with my life. So he makes a choice when it comes to boxing early on, at the at the suggestion of his his manager. Uh, look, you know, you can get farther along if you're not known as a black boxer. You kind of look Jewish. Why don't you just let me say you're Jewish? Uh, and he eventually does that, right? And then I think the most, the single m most weighty scene in terms of that whole uh, choice he's made is, is the one where, well, there's two, mm -hmm. but the, maybe the second most weighty scene is, is the one where he does go to the recruiting office uh, for the Navy, and you you see him looking at the form, uh, the 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 the, the check boxes for the various racial backgrounds. Yeah. He looks at it, and he looks at it, and he finally checks white, and that does allow him to have a fairly rel a, a relatively successful and fulfilling career in the Navy, not doing something like cooking, right? Uh, and then he's able to take the GI Bill. This is apparently more. Uh, uh, emphasized in the novel he's, he's able to take advantage of the gi bill and build this uh, substantive uh, academic career and literary career all the while completely burying his past and this first most powerful 
uh, scene in the film for me was the one where he, he and his mother are talking. And he basically says, Mom, I'm never going to see you again. Uh, I'm basically disowning the family. He's made a, ter- a horrible, horrible choice. Um, and I think there was something there if they had focused more on that story and rearranged the chronology of the film. I think it would have been more powerful. They should have started with his backstory and ended with the uh, kangaroo court and have that be it. Now, the problem is you got the side story with Faunia. Yes. Right? And that was and, one of the weakest parts, I think, because the Fania is the woman he's having the affair with, and there's this backstory between her and her husband. Her husband's a disturbed Vietnam veteran, mm-hmm. and they had a tragedy where she went away, or I believe he said she was having an affair with another man and the house burned down with the kids inside. Right. And And he's always blamed her for it and has been harassing her and stalking her since then. Right. And eventually he's the man that sort of causes them to swerve off the road into the lake. Yeah, he's timed timed his... He's sitting in his truck and he's waiting for them to come around the bend in the car. He knows they're coming around the bend and he basically plays chicken with them. And they go off the side of the road. Right. Um, The whole... At least in the film, the whole uh, affair with Fania just appears to me very implausible, and it might be because it's such a mismatch between the two actors. Yeah, 30 years of age difference between Anthony Hopkins and Nicole Kidman. Yeah, and uh, although I think Kidman actually does a pretty darn good job mm-hmm. yeah. uh, with this role, and you, I actually believe her as this... Hor- this person has had this horrible life and is basically relegated to being uh, gen- doing janitorial work at Athena University, the fictional university this is a- occurring at. Um, I-, 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 I buy her. Um, I- I've read some reviews where people didn't buy it. it was, they said, oh, it's, it's, she's, she looks too refined in Northeastern. It's Nicole Kidman. And I kind of bought it, so I, I didn't get that. But um, e- even though that's the case, I, I never saw any chemistry between those two characters. The age difference is too vast. Yeah. And uh, on a related note, uh, I, I just didn't buy Hopkins as an older um, uh, Coleman Silk. Yeah. and uh, All of a sudden, I mean, I'm going to get snarky here. Um, all of a sudden, when he's older, he's got an English accent. Yeah. And... He doesn't even look slightly Jewish or black, and that's the problem. And, and it yeah. just doesn't—it just doesn't ring true. They did a very good job casting the younger Coleman Silk. Uh, I, I don't know the guy's name. If, for those listening, if you're familiar with a popular show on Fox that came out like 15 years ago, it was called Prison Break. He was the lead in that show. Okay, I forget the guy's name, but he is real life. He is half black. One of his parents is black, so he can he. Yeah. You feel that he was suited for a young Coleman Silk, but that's not Anthony Hopkins. Anthony yeah. Hopkins has his British accent, and he doesn't pass off. You don't think he could pass off as a light-skinned black man? Not in the slightest. Yeah. And I was thinking, uh, uh, the guy that does play the the younger Coleman Silk, they probably should have used him and just done some makeup. Yeah, I think he makeup. could have pulled it. He could have pulled it off. Um, so, I, I think the the movie commits the sin of having too many storylines it's attempting to develop 
uh, and it's probably something that is just fine in a novel, you know, where you've got three or 400, 500 pages to develop different storylines. You can do that. But in this particular movie, uh, they don't pull it off. They should have, no. they should have focused on one or the other, the kangaroo court scenario, the, that whole story um, uh, with, with the backstory of Silt being um, precisely that a backstory, but not the main story. Uh, the main story being the, the uh, injustice that has uh, caused him. We see in the final scenes, right, at, at the funeral, that a lot of the faculty members that had been on that uh, board that suspended him are at the services. And one of them, actually, a black guy, actually gets up and says, you know what, Coleman, uh, we did you wrong, and I'm here to say that. They could have worked with that, making the, the, the kangaroo court uh, 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 aspects of the story main, or... They could have focused more on the backstory, make the whole movie that, and end with his later time and uh, the kangaroo court. And and it, but they they tried to give both equal weight, and it just ended up coming off disconnected. And that's what the criticisms I have seen from the movie. Because yeah. if you look at all the ratings, it's not very high. Yeah. And I think people say that they feel that the novel is just unfilmable. And I think there are just some... It's right, because there are some stories either A, you just don't do it, or B, you try to take a miniseries and make three or four one-hour episodes. Yeah. It gives you time to flesh things out. But in a movie that's not even two hours long, it just uh, it does not translate well. Like you say, it's trying to include all of these threads, but like I said, the stuff with the Fania and her husband, just it doesn't... It just feels like a B-plot that's just not really that interesting. And, yeah. and even one thing we forgot to mention, the main storyteller of this of this story is Nathan Zuckerman, played by Gary Sinise. He's the guy that reads this author who reaches out to him, and he yeah. doesn't really feel like he's that essential to the story. I mean, no. supposedly this is the guy that meets Coleman Silk, and supposedly in the book he's also the narrator. And if I was reading Roth, he's used that character, Zuckerman, in more of his stories, yeah. but... You just kind of feel that, is this guy even necessary for the story? He doesn't yeah. really add much to it. Yeah, and, and uh, he's he's also supposed to be the omniscient narrator, too, <laughs> uh, as it, which is like in the novel, I suppose. Um, but again, you're right. It, it just seems like he's almost there just as a vehicle to uh, get the story across, as if he was merely the narrator of the film. And as far as I know... Uh, in the novel, he's not merely a narrator. He is a, a active participant in uh, uh, Silk's initial efforts to. Uh, he wants to write the entire story so that uh, um, he can he can t- tell the world what what the injustice was that he suffered. Um, but he also becomes kind of a detective, and so you've got that element of a classic element of novels uh, a detective story and um it's much more in depth in the novel than it is in the it, you're right it's it's almost as if he's he's kind of a a sidebar or just a convenient tool to tell the rest of the story whereas in the novel he's a full-fledged character involved in uh the, yeah cuz cuz he, he gives when we first meet him he said cuz he's apparently he's been a recluse he doesn't go out very much and there's just, he just has like some very vague like, oh, there was just a time when I just realized that everything I thought was real was wrong. 
and you're that's all it has yeah. as far as backstory. Now, reading up, I believe it said that he just went through his second divorce and he had a battle with cancer. Yeah, and that's not, just, that's not, not brought up at all in the movie. It's not brought up yeah. at all. Yeah, it it seems like another case of just here are these threads. We want to mention them, but yeah. it's, it's it's but we'd also don't want to have a three hour movie, so yeah. we're just gonna give a little lip service to it and move on. Yeah, and hey, you know what? That's the other option they could have done is done the three hour movie. Or the miniseries. Probably actually the miniseries would have been the best thing to do. Because mm-hmm. then you could have an episode for his boxing career, an episode for his naval career, an episode for mm-hmm. his academic career. And all the while, show the family as it ages, and he, he pushes them farther and farther away until they've literally not heard from him in a long time. And then there's the later re- reunification. And then the meeting of the sister with the writer um which i think that that scene was kind of wasted too but you know it 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 was bordering on being powerful in that she says you know that's kind of like that's silk you know but she's and she had some level of understanding of why he did it right Mm -hmm. even though she felt hurt and she certainly um uh uh, has a very understandable resentment for what it did to her mother. But they don't develop that very much. It's just not there. Mm-hmm. So you're right. It's almost like, and this is weird for Chris Meyer. He's usually pretty good in the script writing department. Um, th- there's just not much character development. I, I would say even with Silk, and he's the closest you get to Deep character yeah, development. It, when we see him, like we've said before, it wor- he works well when we see him in the flashbacks as a young man. Yeah. You know, the one of the scenes we forgot to mention, he has this girlfriend. Mm-hmm. It's getting pretty serious. They seem to be happily in love, but then he takes her to meet his mom. Yeah. And she, and you can tell she just moves away and they break up because she didn't know that he was black. Yeah. And which leads him to not tell his other, you know, the Eventually, he moves on to the woman he marries for over 30 years, and he never tells her that he's black. He never yeah. tells her. Now, this is the woman that died because of the mistreatment <clears throat> that he received from Athena College. They, yeah. They just they just don't develop that relationship. And I'm sure it's yeah. deeper in the novel because I mean, he's lived this massive deception with his own wife for decades. It's not even there. It's not even there because she and, dies quite early, you know. And which is even strange because before we see him riding with um, Fania, it seems like he's about to tell her. Yeah. Because it's saying like, well, you know, I don't have much longer to live anyway. Might as well tell her. This might be the last person I'll ever be with. And but I was thinking, how is she going to react? But we don't even know if he tells her because it looks like he's saying, I want you to tell you something. I'm yeah. figuring, oh, he's going to tell her about the fact that he's black. Yeah. But no, and apparently, did he tell her? Because we, because at the end, they just they crash in the water. Yeah, because we have this other plot with the disturbed Vietnam veteran right. ex-husband. Yeah, and I suppose they wanted to leave that ambiguous on purpose, but it it doesn't work. No. You do want to see how she would react, or you do want to see him choose not to tell her. Um, it you know if you're if you're getting to the kind of the philosophical kernel of this film i think that's that's it the the level of excision of his own history that he's had to do in order to 
live a fulfilled life and uh, have a career where he has economic security, right, and a reputation and all of that. Uh, they are wanting to, us to uh, ask questions about that, you know, and put ourselves in the shoes of African-Americans who lived in the 30s and 40s and had to make these tough choices. Had very light skin and could pass as well. Right. Yeah. And uh, what what kind of uh, emotional turmoil that would have put them under vis-a-vis uh, -vis their darker-skinned um, relatives, Right. So it was a great, there was potential there in that part of the story that was wasted. And there was potential in, in, uh, wasted, I think, in regard to the, uh, portrayal of the political correctness and cancel culture, as it's called today, where there, there is this, which is high in colleges and academia. Uh, yeah. And, and it's, there's a propensity to, to rush to judgment with people and uh it's only amplified by the existence of social media and you know we've seen cases in academia we've seen cases in the entertainment industry we've seen cases in politics uh where uh like you said people grab their jackhammers pickaxes and start mining into the into the histories of these people to find anything that may or may not be uh, insensitive in one way or another, either either to other uh, racial groups or sexual orientations or whatever. And you know that raises the question of uh, um, how fair is it to hold people responsible decades later for things they had done earlier in life. Um, how fair is it to hold them responsible for using uh, language where, uh, due to ambiguities, there can be interpretations mm -hmm. like the one we see in the film? And actually, um, for current events, there was a professor at USC, and he was doing a video lecture. I think he was teaching Chinese, Mandarin mm -hmm. Chinese. And one of the phrases he was saying sounded like the N-word, and he said it three times. And he got fired for that, even though he was just using the language he was not saying really the n-word it just sounded like he was yeah. saying the n-word and that got him fired yeah and even though people they were standing up for him was like no that's how it is pronounced it is not a racial slur that's just how that is pronounced but still it got him fired for yeah that. yeah and that's not explored uh, well it's it's not explored it's portrayed very briefly at the beginning of the story to set up the the other uh main story thread here and they, they so but even that one isn't so well developed they spent too much time on the Faunia side story i think the Faunia side mm -hmm. story where they, they could have expanded the background story right uh didn't do it and they didn't touch the pc aspect of it at all and there's even this know? little part where he's receiving like a th somewhat of a threatening letter Supposedly, it's from that woman who's leading the kangaroo court. Yeah. I guess is what the dean of the college. Or what? Oh no, he was the dean. Oh, he's the dean. Who is she, she was a she was a, a junior faculty member who was jealous in the novel, at any rate, jealous of him because of his uh, uh, the esteem he'd been held in and the position he has. Uh, she's the one that 
sit, sitting at the end of the table. Yeah, I right. thought she was like the leader of some sort of. No, she's the leader of the committee looking into it. Oh, the committee, okay, right? Got but it. he's the dean. He's actually yeah. the the dean of the liberal arts school, and uh, and she is she, she's, just, she's and like it's not even really sure if she's the one that sent that letter, but we could kind of tell because yeah. she notices him uh, picking yeah. Fania up and kissing her. Yeah, and she says you're taking advantage of her. How dare you in that letter? But that's, that's it. And we just see yeah. her at the very end with a stern look on her face as that professor is speaking out against... Yeah, at, at the funeral, well, right. And apparently in the novel, there's a lot more interaction between that char- that, that woman and uh, Silk and, and and the guy that speaks in, at the funeral. Uh, none of that's in the film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, And then the last thing I do bring up, because it's this is mentioned at the very beginning of the movie, it's... Portrayed. This is, takes place in 1998, and it's at the very height of the Monica Lewinsky, Bill Clinton scandal. Yeah, and we see characters talking about it in the beginning. It's always sort of in the background. There, people make mention of it in the papers. They're like, "Oh, did you hear about this Monica Lewinsky thing?" But I, you said it's just sort of just there to just show of like what was going on at that moment. So, like, yeah. say if this movie takes place at that time, it would either be about the 2020 election or the coronavirus. If it takes place, yeah. Right now. Yeah, it just it doesn't really act because I thought one of the things he was saying is comparing how, you know, saying what Coleman Silk is going through with a kangaroo court was what Bill Clinton was going through with a kangaroo court. But that's not really the case. Like he said, yeah. that wasn't what he was trying to portray. It was just it was just something that was big at the time. Yeah. And I'm just it, feeling like, well, then, well, then why, why do it? Yeah. Why do it? Because you're dating your film. Yeah. Cause it's just, uh, is you it, know. is it just any for more than just, Hey, remember the Bill Clinton scandal? I just, yeah. I didn't quite get, yeah. if it's not that big of a deal, then why even bring it up? Yeah. I, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know either. I know it's part of a trilogy and each one is set at a specific time in American history. One in the thirties, one in the fifties. And then this one. And I, I did see an interview where he said, you know, uh, uh, he, he wanted to put that in there because he thought in retrospect, you know, when people read this novel decades later, that they will will see this as, as having been a, a, a pretty large event in American history. Eh, it's a scandal for sure. Yeah, it was, um, but, I, but I, you don't really... It, it's not a large event in American history. books to know that it was like this big yeah. thing that happened so, at that time. I mean, right. It's like you don't need to... If, like, say, if a movie takes place in the 40s, it's not like, well, I have to, you know, constantly remind people that World War II is going on because that was a big, important event, wasn't it? Like, yeah. yeah, it is. But yeah. you, if you don't, if it's not important to the story, then you don't. You don't just throw it, it in. Yeah. Just throw it in yeah. for throwing it in sake. It's like with Forrest Gump and all the little events he's involved in. It's like, oh, I was okay. in Watergate. You Gee, know, was it the 60s? With Chairman Mao. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, so is. Getting close to the end of my questions, is there anything else we want to bring up? I, I, as we can tell, we didn't really care for this movie, but like yeah. I said, you know what? We needed a little bit of negativity on the show. Yeah. Once in a I mean, we can't I, just shower a film with praise all the time. We've got to we got to pick some not so good films yeah. along with the classics. The uh, the only other thing I I found rather cringeworthy about this one was. Uh, uh, the I I found some of the uh, nude and gr- sex scenes to be gratuitous. 
right? Yeah, I the, found a bit too. Th- there was there was one when he's with his girlfriend, right? And says dance for me, and so she does a striptease, right? And then later Fania does the same thing. I'm actually surprised Nicole Kidman did this, by the way, but uh, does the same thing for the elder Silk. And I'm just sitting there, and it's just icky. I don't like it. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's it, one of those things where it's just. When, a show, when you're showing nudity and sex on film, it's just sort of, a, what, what's the boundary between this is essential to the plot, the sex scene, yeah. or the, the nudity is essential, or you're just... Right, and, and that's what it's I... Gratuitous. It's gratuitous. and then uh, it dawned on me this was a Miramax film. Yep. And that explains it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale. There you can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics and the Naval Warrior and The Do-Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds, where each episode I dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found online at thesoundofcinema.podomatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. Sing so long, and be sure to catch us next time on Philosophy at the Movies. Music